As we open to God's Word together this morning, we're going to be looking at a New Testament passage, Colossians 2. It speaks about the Christian life, and it really is a beautiful passage. Um, But it also has some difficult verses in there as well that are hard to understand. Verses about circumcision, a circumcision made by Christ, a circumcision made without hands. And for us to truly understand what the Apostle Paul is saying, we do have to turn back to the Old Testament. So we'll be doing that in our Scripture reading together. Um, We'll look at two passages in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 30. They'll help us to understand what Paul is referring to when he's speaking about this circumcision by Christ, which is a circumcision that I understand to be a heart circumcision, which uh, Moses speaks of in Deuteronomy 10. So we'll read of this together. Deuteronomy 10, we read the verses 12 through to 16. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it, the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So in Deuteronomy 10, we have this command to circumcise the foreskin of your heart that's given to the Israelite people. We also turn to Deuteronomy 30. And in that passage, we have not the command, but the promise that God would do this to His people, a promise that God would do it after they have been sent into exile and then brought back again. So this is Deuteronomy 30. We read the first six verses here. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there He will take you. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, And make you possess it, and he'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So there is the promise that God will circumcise his people's hearts so that they love him. We're now open to our text together, and we're jumping into. Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm going to be reading a section of Colossians 2. Paul's letter to the Colossians. We'll be reading verse 6 through to 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So far the reading of God's Word, and may He bless it in our lives as we expound this passage of Scripture together. And so, dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we have in front of us this morning is a, a beautiful text about the Christian life. It really is a lovely text. There's a, there's a whole lot in this passage of Scripture. Um, and I want to just sort of take a line through this passage today so that we can see what Paul is saying for us in our life, what the, what the Christian life looks like. You can summarize what Paul is saying in this passage through one word, and that is the word fullness. There is fullness in Christ, and as Christians we have been filled in Him so that we live a full life. The passage of Scripture for Christians, if you're a Christian, you've embraced Jesus as your Savior, today this is a passage for what your life looks like. If you have not yet come to trust in Jesus, this is a picture for what the life of the Christian is, a life of fullness. And as I reflected on this passage for myself and I thought about my own life, I was struck by this, by this thought that as I wake up each morning and I look at these, these 24 hours ahead, these 24 hours that I'm going to be facing, do I look at those 24 hours as someone who is filled as someone who is excited for what those hours will hold, or am I, am I looking ahead at each day with, with anxiety, with worry, with this, with this empty feeling in my stomach going, I don't, I don't know what today's going to hold and I don't, I don't know how I'm going to face it. I think rather than being filled, for a lot of us in our situation that Jesus has placed us in, we face each day with a feeling of emptiness. I have... I have this really bad habit of not checking my, my fuel gauge in, in the car. Um, I don't know, it's a gas gauge here is probably what you call it. Um, it's a really, really bad habit. Um, I'll be driving along and then there'll be this, this orange light will be on on the dash. And I'm like, I wonder how long that's been on for. I think it's a bad habit that I actually get from my dad. I can remember family holidays. We'd be in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this farm country, um, and we'd run out of gas. 
and he'd, he'd pile all of us kids, so six siblings in my family, he'd pile us all out of the car and we'd have to sort of stand on the side of the road looking really sad and dejected until this old lady would pull over and sort of give us a jerry can full of, full of gas and off we'd go again. But the habit lives on with me. Um, I just don't realize where I'm at and all of a sudden I, I realize I'm on empty. And I wonder if it's like that for a lot of us in the Christian life. We're running on empty, joy, peace, thankfulness. It's, it's, it's all hard to find. And, and we're faced with this question of how we get filled. How do I be filled? It's a question that they were facing in Colossae as well. Um, there was this false teaching. You can see that in verses 8 there. This false teaching that was facing the Colossian church when they were pondering this question, how to live a full Christian life. And it's hard to really understand exactly what the answer that these uh, false teachers in Colossae were telling the Colossian believers, how to be filled. But there's two elements that come out there. One is um, pagan philosophy, and then the other is is sort of Jewish uh, traditionalism or Jewish law-keeping. They're told that to live a full Christian life, you sort of align your life with what everyone else is believing and how everyone else thinks you can live a full life and with what the Judaizers are telling as well. It's, it's something that's actually a really, really subtle teaching for how to be full as a Christian. And we have to, we have to be aware of this for ourselves as we place ourselves in this text as well this morning. There's this subtle teaching in Colossae. Teaching that, that was teaching that the foundation is Christ, Jesus alone. That's how you, how you become a Christian. But day-to-day life, how are you filled? How are you full? Yeah. The answer there is, is not Jesus, but something else. And when we take that big picture approach, and when we look at our own life, foundation is Jesus. We don't deny that. But how to live each day again filled? How to live each day again with joy? with power, with passion, it's easy there to give a different answer than Jesus. Our society gives answers, big houses, big boats, big holidays. Um, that, that's where our society leads us. Our own hearts also lead us in another direction, very similar to the Judaizers, law-keeping, put up fences, do this, don't do that, make sure you, you keep these rules and, and you'll be safe. But all these answers in the Christian life that leave Jesus to the side. And what Paul wants to point us to, he wants to point us in our daily Christian life back to Jesus. You know, he actually lets us in on this little secret in verse 9. As we wake up each morning, even even before before we get our cup of coffee in the morning, He lets us in on this little secret. Even when we're feeling empty, we're actually filled. We have already been filled in Christ. It has happened. We don't have to go searching. We just have to realize what we have in Jesus Christ. This is verse verse 10. Paul says, you have been filled in Him. And he's speaking to each and every Christian here. 
and he's, t- and he, and he's using a, a perfect verb. Usually the Greek's really not that important to you guys, but, but here this morning the Greek's actually important. He's using what they call a perfect verb. A perfect verb is a verb that uh, speaks of something that's happened in the past that has effects for the present. So he says, you have been filled in the past, but the effect continues on in the present for today. It's not like you've been filled 500 miles ago and now your tank's empty and you're on the side of the road with six kids looking for lawn. Not that sort of filled. But you have been filled when, when you became a Christian. And now today you are still filled. You are still full. You wake up every morning and you can claim in Christ fullness. And so Paul, what he wants to do in this passage is is he wants to unpack what that means. He wants to unpack what it means to be filled with Christ. So you can wake up each morning, get out of bed, and you can say, I am full. We're going to see three things that this fullness includes. Firstly, being remade. Secondly, being restored. And finally, removed. These three things, we we are remade. Our relationship with God is restored, and our enemies have been removed. And those three things are vital for every Christian to know, for every Christian to be confident in. I have been remade. My relationship with God has been restored. My enemies have been removed. And so I can face each and every situation filled with, as Paul says, thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving, walking in Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at those three things. The first thing that's true for each and every Christian is that we are remade. We have been transformed. We have been changed. Now, Paul, he gives us two pictures of this recreation that we have received in Jesus Christ. This is verses 11 and verses 12. He wants us to be clear that as Christians, we have been recreated. Now, the first picture that he gives us is a picture that comes from the Old Testament. The second picture is a picture that comes from the New Testament. In verse 11, Paul says, In him, that is in Christ, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ. In short, what Paul is saying there is that your heart has been circumcised. or or you have received a new heart. For us to get there, we have to sort of blaze a bit of a trail through the Old Testament to really understand what it is that Paul is saying. And so, where we we can start is is in Genesis, when we first read about circumcision, Genesis 17. There, Paul, I mean, there Abraham is given circumcision as a sign in the body. Circumcision there is a sign that Abraham and his offspring were children of God. But as someone who was brought into the family of God, there was this obligation, this this response that Abraham had to have, and that was to, to trust and to love his father. So God brought Abraham into his house, gave him circumcision that, that Abraham was his child, but then Abraham had to love his dad, and he had to trust his dad. You have to have a heart of love and a heart of trust. And having this heart is pictured in a number of ways in the Old Testament. One is having a heart of flesh. 
to his having a heart that is circumcised. And so there's this command that comes in Deuteronomy 10, that passage that we read together, Deuteronomy 10 verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That's the command that comes to God's Old Testament people. The problem with the Old Testament people is that they couldn't keep this command. They had uncircumcised hearts, or they had hearts that were made of stone. You hear the prophets telling God's people this time and time again. For example, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4 verse 4, is calling God's people to circumcise yourselves and remove the foreskin of your hearts. That was their problem. And yet God also gave a promise that in His new covenant, this circumcision would actually take place. In His new covenant, He would circumcise His people's hearts. We read about this in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. The Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. Again, the prophet Ezekiel makes this same promise there. When God says, I'll give you a new heart, new spirit I'll put within you, I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this is, this is the background of, of this discussion that Paul is having here about circumcision. Now, before I go on, I do have to blow my nose, my, my apologies I contemplated not coming here this morning because I have slight sniffles. It's not coronavirus, don't worry. Um, I made sure of that. But then I thought Pastor Phil would have to preach again and you can't really put your new pastor under that sort of circumstance. Um, so I thought I would come out and, and keep my obligation and my commitment. Um, but to get back to, to circumcision, to get back to this passage of Scripture here in Colossians 2, Colossians 2 verse 11 we fix our, our, our hearts and our minds back on that verse there. What Paul is telling us is true for each and every Christian, that in Christ we were circumcised, so we received a circumcision, each and every Christian. But this is a circumcision that's made without hands. So it doesn't happen by, 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 by humans, like, like physical circumcision. And this circumcision is putting off the body of the flesh. Or, or putting off our sinful nature. Um, Paul loves that expression, the body of the flesh, or he loves to use, use the flesh as, as, a, as a picture of our, of our sinful nature. That's what has happened to each and every Christian. And it's a circumcision that Christ has done. And so, and so here's, here's, here's the rub. Here's, here's where it comes, comes home for each and every one of us. When we compare ourselves sitting here in a, in a school gym in the 21st century, we compare ourselves with these Israelites um, like 2,000 years ago plus sitting in their, their synagogue. What's, what's the difference here between us and those Israelites in the Old Covenant? There's a fundamental difference between being a Christian and being an Old Testament Israelite, and that is that you have received heart circumcision in Jesus, we are made new. In Jesus, we are recreated. In Jesus, we are remade. In Jesus, we are made alive. So that's the, that's the point that Paul is making through this, through this Old Testament picture. That reality, it has happened to you. 
And then in verse 12, he jumps to a New Testament picture of that same thing, which is pictured in baptism. We were buried with Christ in baptism, which were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And here, we don't have to spend so much time because we are familiar with this picture of baptism. But Paul is saying this, this picture of baptism, it's a picture of that same spiritual reality. Baptism, we have this picture that we are, we are dead in sin. And yet with Christ, we died to sin and we have been remade. We have been brought to life. If you think back to the Harderberg Catechism, it brings out these, these two aspects of what it means to be baptized, to be washed by Christ's blood and to be washed by His Spirit. We are washed by His blood so that we receive forgiveness of our sins and we enter into a restored relationship with God. And we're also washed by His Spirit so that we are remade, so that we are made alive again together. And then Paul, he brings this out in verse 13, where he says, You are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God has made you alive together with Him, together with Christ. That's the first point that Paul is making for each and everyone who is a Christian. In Christ, you are made new. In Christ, sin does not have power over you. Its power has been broken. You fight against His presence every single day of your life here on this life, but its power has been broken. That is who you are as a Christian. What does it feel like to be a Christian? What it feels like is that there's this deep change within me so that I, I delight in things I once never delighted in, so that I, I despise things I once delighted in, and so that my heart, my heart, it becomes more and more like the heart of Christ. That's the first point that Paul makes here. We have been remade he goes on into another aspect of what it means to be filled in Christ. To be filled in Christ, it also means that we are restored. Our relationship with God is restored. This is verse 14. There, Paul, he, he pictures each of us with a record of debt. We're standing before God with this this record of debt, you can picture it a little bit like a, a criminal record and, and God is the judge and no one can stand before the judge if they have a criminal record. I know someone in Australia that wanted to be a cop. Uh, they'd done something stupid when they were young. They had a record. Couldn't be a cop because they had that record. We're the same. We have, we have, a, we have a record of debts. And because, because of that, we cannot stand in relationship with God. And the big question for each and every one of us here is, is what are we going to do with that record? If you have this record, you can't be in a right relationship with God. So, so what are we going to do about it? Well, Paul lets us know that if we are a Christian, something has already been done with us. It's been nailed into the cross. I'd like us to, to understand what's happened to this record. We, 
we have it in our hands, but it's God who has taken it from us. You see, it's, it's God who's taken this record out of our hands, and it's God who has set it aside, and it's God who has nailed it to the cross of Christ. This is what God has done for each and every one of us who is a Christian. We don't, we don't hold that record in our hands. No, He's taken it from our hands, and He has nailed it to the cross. These are actions that are done by God Himself. You see His great heart of love there for us, that He takes that record from us, and He nails it. Apparently, in the, in the Roman Empire, when someone was crucified, the Romans, they would take their, um, like, basically a, a, a criminal record. They'll take this notice of what this criminal was being crucified for, and they would nail that to the cross. They'd hammer that to the cross as that criminal was, was hanging there. Same with Jesus. Except the record that was Hanging there with Jesus wasn't his record, it was our record. And so, and so we can picture Jesus there, hanging on the cross with, with our record nailed there to the cross and his blood dripping down on that criminal record and, and three letters, I mean three words being, being written in that blood, paid in full. Paid in full by the blood of Christ. That's the second thing, what it means to be, to be filled with the fullness of Christ. We are, we are remade in Him. Our relationship with God is restored. Finally, in this passage of Scripture, Paul points to a third thing, verse 15. That is that our enemies are removed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You know, this world, it's a, it's a broken place. I don't think I need to give any examples of the brokenness of life because it's something that we each and we all experience. In our lives, there's brokenness. In our lives, there's pain. In Langley at the moment, there are people who, because of their convictions around vaccines, have, have lost their jobs. There are people who are, who are experiencing uncertainty. There are people who are experiencing brokenness now. And we can look at this broken world, and we can look at, at the power of, just, of, of just, just this broken world and the sickness and the disease that's there, and it can scare us. We can look at the power of, of governments and power of rulers, and we can be afraid. And yet, yet, there's nothing to fear because our enemies have been removed. Christ has conquered, He has triumphed, He is now in control. He has disarmed the rulers, He's put them to shame, He's triumphed over them. And Paul, in this verse, he gives us this great perspective for how to face this broken world each and every morning again. And we can just see what Paul does, and we can learn from that in verse 15 here. We notice, firstly here, that he, that he faces the threat. Faces the threat. He doesn't hide from it. You'll notice that he speaks here about rulers and authorities he doesn't say weak little creatures. 
doesn't say little nothings. He, he, he uses these words, rulers and authorities. It's, it's not for nothing that the Bible will speak about the devil as a roaring lion. There is a threat, and we have to face the threat, and we have to be real about, about the threat and the power that is there. The power of the devil is real. The pain that we experience in this broken life is real. We have to look at that fully in its face. We, we, we face the threat. But second, Paul, he focuses on the triumph. As Jesus has triumphed over them, he has conquered them, he has disarmed them, he has put them to open shame. And the picture here is a, a triumph in Rome, where this Roman general, he's coming into the city of Rome, he's leading his, his soldiers following after him, and behind his soldiers come all of these once proud, once strong enemies, and they're in chains. And then behind these prisoners in chains come all of their weaponry being carried by Roman soldiers. And he's like, that's a picture of Jesus' triumph. He's conquered his enemies, and they have been disarmed. He does rule. He has triumphed. So face the threat Focus on the triumph, and thirdly, go forward in trust. Jesus rules, and so we can trust Him. Jesus is in complete control over what happens in our life. He's in complete control over what's going to happen this week. We don't know what it is, but Jesus is in control. Though the nations raise, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains. My God is the ancient of days. And that's the perspective we need when we are facing this broken world. The threat's been removed. We can face the threat, but we focus on the triumph and we go forward in trust. And so as we, as we go forward into this week, brothers, sisters, we have been filled. I don't know very much about full driving. I think the first time I stepped in a full drive, I would have been like 15 or 16. It's really not my thing. But there's something in full drives that I, that I learned when I was a teenager, and that is that they have like auxiliary gas tanks, two gas tanks. Yeah. Never knew that. I thought all vehicles had just one gas tank. But if you run out of gas in one tank and you're in a full drive, yeah, you don't pile your kids out on the side of the road and wait for an old lady to come. You just flick gas tanks. You flick onto that tank that's full. And Paul, he's telling us this morning as we, as we face another tank, as another week, change tanks. Flick to that, flick to that tank that's full. Because in honesty, as we, as we face this week, there's, there's three things in this world that that scare us. There's three great problems that we have in this world. One is, one is ourselves, two is our relationship with God, and three is this world itself. We're broken. We, we, we do a good job of hiding that by wearing nice Sunday clothes and sitting together as a beautiful little families on Sunday. But we're all broken. Our families are broken. That's one problem. Second problem is our relationship with God is broken. Third problem is we're living in a broken world. And yet in Christ, we have the answer to all three of those. Because we have been remade. Our relationship with God has been restored. And our enemies have been removed. Amen. Let's now 
they would have prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for this great salvation that you give us in Christ. We are so thankful that we have been filled in Christ. Now, prayer is that your spirit will work mightily in each and every heart here so that in this coming week we can come to you for fullness. We can rest in you. We can trust in you. And we can be filled by that great fullness that we find in Jesus. Amen.